Just a reminder for you, although that is a good baptismal song, never forget that you are still the little ones, okay? Our scripture passages tonight, there are three. First is Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 9. It can be found in your pew Bible on page 1,809. We'll go from there. Before we read, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, bless the reading and preaching of your word. May we, Lord, here in your word, find what it is that marks the church as a true and faithful church, as a, a right and proper expression of the invisible reality of being bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, may we, Lord, strive to be faithful, and may we depend always upon the grace that we've received in Jesus Christ to do so. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Starting the reading with Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 9. Paul there says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted... Let him be eternally condemned. Turning out to Acts chapter 19, verse 1 through 7. Pew Bible, page 1,726. There we read. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road to the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. They were, there were about 12 men in all. And finally, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Pew Bible, page 1,776. Paul, speaking to the church in Corinth, says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. A man has his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. And I have already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan, so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. 
Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread, without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of the world who are immoral, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. This part of the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. We're also going to be looking at Belgic Confession, Article 29, in the back of your Green Psalter hymnals on page 83. bottom of page 83, it is entitled, The Marks of the True Church and Wherein It Differs from the False Church. Article 29. There we read that we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that we ought diligently and circumspectly to discern from the word of God, which is the true church, since all sects which are in the world assume to themselves the name of the church. But we speak not here of hypocrites who are mixed in the church with the good, yet are not of the church, though externally in it. But we say that the body and communion of the true church must be distinguished from all sects that call themselves the church. The marks by which the true church is known are these. If the pure doctrine of the gospel is preached therein, if it maintains the pure administration of the sacraments as instituted by Christ, if church discipline is exercised in punishing of sin, in short, if all things are managed according to the pure word of God, all things contrary thereto rejected, and Jesus Christ acknowledged as the only head of the church. Hereby the true church may certainly be known from which no man has a right to separate himself. With respect to those who are members of the church, they may be known by the marks of Christians, namely by faith. And when, having received Jesus Christ, the only Savior, they avoid sin, follow after righteousness, love the true God and their neighbor, Neither turn aside to the right or left and crucify the flesh with the works thereof. But this is not to be understood as if there did not remain in them great infirmities. But they fight against them through the Spirit all the days of their life, continually taking their refuge in the blood, death, passion, and obedience of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom they have remission of sins through faith in Him. As for the false church, that ascribes more power and authority to itself and its ordinances than to the Word of God. It will not submit itself to the yoke of Christ. Neither does it administer the sacraments as appointed by Christ in his word, but adds to and takes from them as it thinks proper. It relies more upon men than upon Christ and persecutes those who live holily according to the word of God and rebuke it for its errors, covetousness, and idolatry. These two churches are easily known and distinguished from each other. And that is the teaching of our confession. John MacArthur, in his book, Reckless Love, When the Church Loses Its Will to Discern, says that uh, federal agents 
Don't learn to spot counterfeit money by studying the counterfeits. They study genuine bills until they master the look of the real thing. You know, put it up between the, in the light and you can see the little marks on it. So they look at the real thing over and over and over and over again. That way when they see the bogus money, they recognize it. Because it's not the real thing. Well, you could say that tonight's sermon is a lesson in the same vein. Our confession, after telling us that it is our Christian duty to join the church, now helps us by giving us marks, like those on money, that point us to the real thing, the true church, and point us away from the false church. It calls us to study and know what the mark of living faith looks like, so that we would join together with others who have that same living faith. We're called to study the real thing so that we can catch the fake. This requires biblical discernment. But tonight's scriptures and article of the Belgian Confession are a gift to the church in this process. They're a gift to help us know what the true church is, what a true Christian is, so that we may join ourselves to that for the sake of our soul. Let's take a look, shall we? Our theme this evening is every Christian is called to separate, I always think that's right. Yep, it's one of those words that feels weird when you write it. Separate themselves from the world and the false church. And join themselves to the true church. Every Christian is called to separate themselves from the world and the false church and join themselves to the true church. Now, I'll talk a little bit more about what I mean by separate themselves from the world because that's an often confused distinction in our day and age. First point is discernment. The second is the marks of the true church. The third is the marks of the Christian. And the fourth point is the marks, I guess I can go all the way here, the false church. So let's start with this first point, discernment. The Belgic Confession begins by saying, we believe that we ought diligently and circumspectly to discern, that's where we have here, from the word of God, 
So we get our discernment from the Bible, from understanding and knowing the Bible. We get our discernment from studying the real thing so that we can spot the fake, right? Which is discern from the Word of God, which is the true church. And it says this because it says all sects claim the name of the church. And I'll give you one example, just so you know this. The Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. They call themselves a church. I even believe that if you talk to Rich and Kathy, I don't even know if they're watching this, they'll tell you about one time that they walked into a Mormon church because it was called community something. And then they sat down. And then they realized this is a Mormon church. And they thought to themselves, what do we do now? <laughs> do we get up and leave or what? Um, particularly for Guido Debray when he's writing this, this reality is much more concise to him. It's much more 50-50, okay? He's basically saying this about the Roman Catholic Church. That's why if you read in your Belgian Confession, it has that the word church capitalized because the Roman Catholic Church believes that they are the church. There is no other church. And so when he says... We need to discern from the word of God which is the true church, since all sects which are in the world assume to themselves the name of the church. He doesn't have in mind uh, false religions like the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints or Jehovah's Witnesses um, or a number of other kinds of offshoot uh, false churches that are out there that teach a modalist view of the Trinity or a teach a, a oneness Pentecostalism, or they teach things like that that put them outside the category of Orthodox Christianity. Um, he's talking about the distinction between what was always up till that point the only church that existed in large reason, the Roman Catholic Church, and now what is happening in the Reformation of these groups splitting off from it, the Lutherans. Um, the Reformed, the Dutch Reformed, um, the English Presbyterian, as this progresses. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, um, why is it that these people deemed it important enough for them to separate themselves from what was the only church and to start this uh, new expression of the visible church? Um, and Guido Debris is writing this to explain that to the people. He's writing this to explain that to the, uh, the government leaders, the magistrates. Why is it that we have separated ourselves from the Roman Catholic Church? Why is it that we are ready to die for this? And he points us to the reality of discernment 
which is even, I would say, more important in our day and age because there are many more S-E-C-T-S sects out in the world. There are many more denominations and traditions and um, churches that call themselves churches but aren't an expression of the Orthodox Christian faith. They aren't part of the true body of Jesus Christ. They aren't part of the true church. And the way that we gain this discernment is by studying the Word of God. This article of the Belgian Confession of Faith will turn us back to the Word of God over and over and over again. That's where we find the expression of the real thing. That's where we find that we can study the real deal so that we can spot the fake, okay? So let's turn then to the second point. And just to shorten this, I'm going to say just true church. We're talking about the marks of the true church. The first thing, uh, the next thing that uh, the Belgian Confession of Faith says, as when it says we're talking about discerning from the Word of God, which is the true church, what it's not saying is that there is a visible church out there that has only converted people in it. You can't have that. It's impossible to know that you have that. Anybody who's claiming that they have that, that they're the only true church, or that they're the ones who really have the only truly converted Christians don't understand that they're, they're not talking about hypocrites who are mixed in the church with the good, uh, yet are not of the church, though externally in it. They're, they're saying that, that no matter what you do, no matter how you strive to have a true teaching and all these other things, you're still going to have a mixed reality, okay? And I'm not making any accusations about anybody here tonight. I'm just saying that's what Guido Debris is saying in the Belgian Confession, and it's wise to say that. Um, we say that the body and communion of the true church must be distinguished from all sects that call themselves the church, even though there is the reality of the mixed uh, situation. For instance, I could say that the Roman Catholic Church is not the true church. It's not an expression of the true church because it has all these errors. But I could say that there may be, and most likely is, uh, truly regenerated Christians in the Roman Catholic Church. But not because of the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church, but in spite of it, okay? Um, but that, del- that still doesn't, just because there are true Christians within the Roman Catholic Church does not make the Roman Catholic Church a true church, okay? Um, so we're going to go into these marks, Okay. <coughs>
The three marks of the church that the Belgic Confession mentions are these. The pure doctrine of the gospel is preached therein, maintains the pure administration of the sacraments as instituted by Christ, and church discipline is exercised in punishing of, of sin. Okay? And it links all these to, in short, all things are managed according to the word of God. As best as we possibly can as imperfect human beings, we strive to have a church that does all things according to the pure word of God. And so that's where the discernment comes in. The discernment comes in because we study the word of God to know what is the proper expression of the church. And when we study the word of God, what we find is that these things are essential to an expression of the true church, the pure preaching of the gospel, the pure administration of the sacraments, and a healthy exercise of church discipline. And that's what our scripture passages are tonight. The Galatians passage in chapter 1. talks about the importance of the true gospel. Paul writes to the church in Galatia because they have come away from this pure gospel. They have been now deceived that they must do certain kinds of works in order to be accepted by God. And largely this circles around the, uh, this, the, the uh, uh, ceremonial aspects of the law like, um, um, like circumcision. And so these Jews have come into the church in Galatia and they have said, yeah, it's good that you believe the gospel. It's good that you've had faith, but you also have to hold these dietary laws. You also have to be circumcised and all these kinds of things. You Gentiles, you have to follow the ways of us Jews, okay? And Paul then comes and he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Um, some people might say, that, hey, well, this is my understanding of the gospel. This is my particular expression of the gospel. Some people might say, well, their gospel is maybe emphasizing something a little bit differently. You know, we can't judge. We need to understand that uh, their gospel is their truth, you know. And I've got my truth and you have your truth. You see, we live in a very subjective culture. That everybody has their own truth. Everybody has their own view of things. And the gospel interrupts that because in the Bible we read that a different gospel is no gospel. And Paul makes this very, very strict, amazing statement. He says, listen to me. Even if we, even if me and my fellow brothers were to come back to the church in Galatia, or even if an angel of the Lord were to come amongst you and to preach to you a different gospel than the gospel that you receive from us, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that by faith in him you are justified, forgiven of all your sins, and you receive the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. Even if 
They should come and preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you. Let him be anathema, accursed, cut off from God. And he repeats it. It's so important to him. He repeats the same thing again. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be condemned. So that's the mark. The first mark of the true church is the pure preaching of the gospel. What is the gospel that you're hearing in church? What is the gospel that you're hearing from other people? Is it a gospel that communicates that you are bad and you have to work harder at not being bad? That's the only way that God will accept you. That's a false gospel. What's the gospel that you are hearing in your church Is it that Jesus loves you, and if you believe in him, he will bring you riches, he will bring you glory, he'll give you a Lamborghini, he'll give you the biggest house on the side of the hill, he will bless you, he will increase you, he will give you health, he will give you wealth. That's not the true gospel. What's the gospel that you're hearing, okay? So that's the first mark of the true church. The second mark of the true church is where, uh, is, um... Why we read 1 Corinthians, or not 1 Corinthians, Acts chapter 19. The pure administration of the sacraments, when he's speaking of that here, he's talking about the Lord's Supper and baptism. The only two sacraments which are commanded in the Bible. And if you look at other churches, they'll have a number of different kinds of sacraments. The Roman Catholic Church, I think, has seven or eight or nine. I don't even know um, how many they have. Um, If you look at some churches, they have uh, interesting expressions. For instance, if uh, if you know about the Salvation Army, instead of baptism, the Salvation Army has it has this uh, ceremony where you, you walk through, you run through a number of flags, and that's how you enter into the kingdom of God. That's, that's their way of, of doing baptism, is you, is you run through these flags. That's not baptism. Okay? A pure administration of the sacraments means that when you go to baptize, you do it with water. You do it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You do it knowing that this isn't what saves, but it is a sign of that salvation. Okay? It's something that must be joined with faith. The Roman Catholic Church taught and still teaches the regeneration, baptismal regeneration. The, you, the water just hitting you, touching you, that regenerates you, that saves you. It, it's not something uh, that it needs to be joined with faith. It's something that simply, poof, it's, it's magic. The proper administration of the Lord's Supper. What does that look like? It looks like you, you striving to teach people the understanding of what the, the, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper is. That this is not actually the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. But it is by faith the body and blood of Jesus Christ. That this is not actually something that you partake and it saves you. But if it's joined by faith, you receive in it the grace of God. That this is not something that actually transforms into the body and blood of Jesus Christ like a hocus pocus magic trick. But that by faith, you participate in the Lord's Supper and you are lifted up. 
in the spirit to sit at the right hand of God the Father where Jesus is. And you sit down and he has a meal prepared for you. And you join him in that feast. And you receive in that feast the nourishment that you need for your faith. The nourishment and grace that you need for the Christian life. Is there a proper administration of the sacraments? Paul, in Acts chapter 19, he comes across some disciples. And this is a very interesting passage because he asks them, he calls them disciples. And we, we think to ourselves, is this uh, disciples of Jesus? Well, it seems as if they were familiar with John's baptism and they knew about Jesus' teaching and they were trying to live by that teaching, okay? Um, and he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Okay, so you understand here that there's a, um, a lack of knowledge that's going on here, an ignorance that, it, that needs to be filled in. And that's what Paul does. He says, then what baptism did you receive? How, how have you been baptized? And they said they were baptized into John's baptism. You see, John came before Jesus Christ baptizing, right? And his baptism was a baptism of repentance. But he said, there's one coming after me who's going to baptize you in the spirit and with fire. Meaning that there's one that's going to come after, that's going to baptize with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. But also with judgment, okay? And Paul says, John's was a baptism of repentance. And he told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that isn't Jesus and so you don't have a pure administration of the sacrament of baptism if you have John's baptism. That's what he's saying. So on hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus, that is, in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, like Jesus teaches us and commands us in the end of Matthew chapter 28. And when that happened, the Holy Spirit came on them. They spoke in tongues and prophesied. And so there's a need for a proper administration of the sacraments. There's a need for a proper administration of baptism, a proper administration of um, the Lord's Supper. And then the last one is where we get uh, why we read 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And I would say of all these uh, marks of the true church, the one in which we are most lacking in in our day and age, the one in which we are most struggling to express and to deal with is when uh, we have to do church discipline. Church discipline is exercised and punishing of sin is a mark of the true church. Paul deals with this in Acts chapter 5 when he hears of the church of Corinth that they have somebody who is sleeping with his mother. And they're proud of this. And I'm guessing that their expression of, of pride is that, look at us, look how much grace we have that we, sh we would accept someone who's doing this horrible, sexually immoral thing. And Paul says, that's wrong. You should not be doing this. And his desire in this act of church discipline, this desire to expel the wicked man from among you is... Got a number of reasons. First, he says in verse 5, Hand this man over to Satan so that the flesh may be destroyed. His sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. So, healthy church discipline has a desire for restoration. 
The reason why this thing needs to happen, that this man is handed over to Satan, is expelled from the church, is so that he may know that God may come and use that church discipline to bring acknowledgement, to bring understanding to him about the severity of his sin. This is somebody who's not simply a sinner like any of us are. None of us are perfect. None of us are without sin. And so people confuse this, this act of church discipline as saying, well, where are the good ones? And you are the dirty one. Get out. No. The act of church discipline is for somebody who is pridefully and arrogantly living, continuing to live in their sinful lifestyle, continuing to live in a certain action, and they've been confronted, and they've been asked, don't you understand how serious this is? Please, you need to repent of this. Turn away from this action. And they will not listen. Their heart is hardened in that sin. They are justifying it. They are rationalizing it. They are not understanding the seriousness of their actions and the severity of their sin and the way that it's hurting and affecting other people. So the act of church discipline comes in as a way to express visibly as a church the severity of that sin, the seriousness of their actions. And the desire is that as all the steps have taken place, you go to them one-on-one. You go to them with a couple other brothers. If they won't listen to you, you go with them with the elders. If they won't listen to you, you talk about it. You work through it. You go before the church. That's the final step. That's not what you rush to. It's the final step. After you sought to do all kinds of things to bring reconciliation, to bring about change. After you sought after that brother or sister and prayed for them and, and asked the Lord to work in them, you go to this final step and you're saying, this person is no longer allowed to come to the Lord's Supper. This person is, is no longer a part of our church and is to be treated as a Gentile or a tax collector, as Jesus says. The reason for that is to teach that person. The root word of discipline is disciple. It's to teach. It's to instruct. It's for them to realize that their sin costs them something. That they may turn from it and believe. Okay? And this is hard in our day and age because, well, to be honest... With you, church discipline has been done poorly on many occasions. It's been done without love. It's been done and handled and managed in a hurtful way. We're not perfect. The church is not perfect. And it's hard and difficult in our day and age because there is no accountability between our church and the church down the road. The church down the road that a person leaves from this church to go to never calls the pastor or the elders and say, why is so-and-so coming to our church to hear this? Well, because such and such has happened, and they've been told now that they can no longer take the Lord's Supper, and they're being placed under discipline. Because if that kind of communication did happen, they would be talking to that person and saying, you need to go back, and you need to make things right with them. You need to deal with this. 
It's difficult in a lot of ways, I believe, because people don't have the kind of commitment and conviction that is required for church discipline to be something that is constructive, that is meaningful. And I haven't been here as long as you, but I don't know, maybe some of you have seen someone at this church be placed under special discipline, repent from their sins, and go before the church and be restored. And that's a beautiful thing. I long to be able to see that one day. I've experienced, at least in part, something like that in my own life. The commitment to stick it out and to find growth in that place is hard. And so this mark of the true church, healthy exercise of church discipline, it is something that is almost completely gone from the Christian Reformed Church. And that's saying something about the Christian Reformed Church, but I'd say its expression is largely gone from the broader evangelical American church. Another reason for a healthy exercise of church discipline is, is that there is a purpose in the purity of the church. You see, when I say that the, every Christian is called to separate themselves from the world, I'm not saying it, that, that we can't be in any way part of the world. Paul says it himself. He says, I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. But then he says, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave this world. And this brings to mind what Jesus said when he said, Lord, I ask that you would not take them out of this world, but that you would protect them in this world. That they would be in this world, but not of this world, okay? So we understand that we're, we're not escaping from the world. We're not going to build a monastery somewhere and all become monks and nuns and, and uh, you know, not have any sort of connection with culture or society or the public square. That's not what I'm saying when I say we separate ourselves from the world. But what I'm saying is that the church is meant to be an expression of the kingdom to come. If somebody walks into a church on Sunday morning and what they see looks no different than the club they were in on Saturday night, how are they saying that this is something that, about the world to come? They aren't. Because that church is no different an expression of what is to come than the, than the world is. It's no different from the world. Okay? So there's supposed to be in the church a purity. Paul says, I'm not telling you to, to not associate with immoral people that are in, in the world. You'd have to come out of the world for that. But now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother. And pay attention, he says, but is sexually immoral. This is a lifestyle. He's greedy. This is a lifestyle. Okay, this is not a sin that, oh, I struggle with greed, but I'm fighting against it. Oh, I struggle with, with uh, sexual immorality, but I'm fighting against it. This is someone who's emboldened, who lives in this lifestyle, idolater, slanderer, drunkard, swindler, who does not think the things that they are doing is wrong or wrong, okay? So the mark of the true church is church discipline um, is exercised in punishing sin so uh, that there may be restoration so that there may be a purity in the church, that the church would look different from the world. 
Um, and so, those are our three marks of the true church. And, and it ends by saying, in short, all things are managed according to the word of God. All things contrary to the word of God are rejected. Jesus Christ is acknowledged as the only head of the church, not the Pope, not, the, not, not, not anybody else but Christ, right? Hereby the true church may certainly be known from which no man has a right to separate himself from. All right. Third point is true Christian. Marks of a Christian are respect to those who are members of the church. They are marked by faith. Namely. Having received Jesus Christ, they avoid sin. Follow after righteousness. Love God and people. Turn aside to the right or left. Crucify the flesh. These are the marks of a true Christian. They have faith. They desire to avoid sin in their lives. They pursue righteousness. They love God and people, and they, they don't turn aside to the right or left. They stay on that path that they've been called to, right? They stay on, the, on that path, and they crucify the flesh and the works thereof. And, and as if to say that this sounds like too perfect of an expression, Guido Debris in the Belgian Confession gives a, a moment of clarity, a clarification. This is not to be understood as if there did not remain in them great infirmities, but they fight against them. So... Um, we are still sinful. But we don't give up. By the grace of God. We're still sinful, but we fight against Him. Through the Spirit, all the days of our life, continually taking refuge in the blood, death, passion, obedience of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom they have remission of sins through faith in Him. So, do you, do you see people in your life that look like this? They have a sincere faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They, as life has gone on, desire more and more to avoid sin in their life. They pursue righteousness. Follow after it. Their love of God and their love of neighbor is something that... Um, Gives you joy to see. You see that they have stuck to the path. They've gone through so many trials and difficulties, but they have not turned to the right or to the left. They are still on the journey of the Christian walk, the pilgrimage that God has called them to. And they crucify the flesh. They sin, yes, they stumble, but when they get back up again, they say, God, help me to put to death, to mortify the flesh that remains in me and live by the Spirit. Do you see people like this? who, even though they still have great weaknesses, fight against them through the Spirit all the days of their life. Even though they struggle, and this is a battle, they continue to go to Jesus Christ 
And they hide in his blood and his death and his passion, his obedience. And they face all things through faith in him. I see many people like that in this church. And I'm thankful for that. These are the marks of the true Christian. And these are the kind of people that you are called to associate yourselves with. One final point tonight. We've studied the real thing. But our confession does give us a look at the counterfeit, okay? And this is basically a description of any kind of cult, of any kind of false religion. It ascribes more power and authority to itself and its ordinances than to the word of God. If you see a church where the prophet, the one who had the vision, is the one who is given ultimate authority, like the church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints, or the tradition and the makeup of the church and its positions, the popes and the bishops and the, the cardinals, are given more authority, more power than the word of God, then you have a false church. Will not submit itself to the yoke of Christ. Neither does it administer the sacraments as appointed by Christ in his word, but adds to and takes from them as it thinks proper. It relies more upon men than upon Christ and persecutes those who live holy according to the word of God, rebuke it for its errors, covetousness, and idolatry. If you find a church that calls itself a church, but persecutes someone because they desire to point out that they are doing this thing that's not in accordance with God's word, and they become persecuted, and they seek to rebuke these false churches for their errors, their covetousness, and their, their idolatry, that's a false church. And the Belgian Confession ends by saying these two churches are easily known and distinguished from each other. And I think that's Guido de Bree's way of saying, you know what I'm talking about, wink, wink. This is the Roman Catholic Church and uh, the Reformed faith. Um, it's, like I said, it's a lot harder to distinguish these two today because we have uh, levels of purity and correctness. Um, we have churches who may, ba- may baptize only by immersion. Are we to say that those churches do not have a pure administration of the sacraments. In that case, I wasn't baptized. We may have churches who uh, preach a gospel, but they may not emphasize the grace of Jesus, the grace of God, like we do here at our church. Um, they may be Arminian, but preach the gospel. Is that a not a pure administration of the gospel? Pure preaching of the gospel. See this thing. Uh, it becomes a little bit more hard to discern. But if we study the true thing, if we look at the word of God, if we grasp what it is saying a true church is meant to look like, a true Christian looks like, then it helps us to spot the fake. Now, um, Now that I'm done with this, I should probably put this back in the offering basket. I borrowed it. See, I told you, Carl, I put it back in the offering basket. 
had a deacon back there that was worried. Every Christian is called to separate themselves from the word, or from the world and the false church and join the true church. I hope this has taught us something. I hope this has given us the ability to be more discerning and to be thankful for the church that we have. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have given us all that we stand in need of to be able to discern what the true church is. Uh, we praise you, Lord, that many of us have been able to have the blessing of living under the pure doctrine of the gospel being preached to us. We thank you, Lord, that we have strived to um, participate and have a pure administration of the sacraments. We thank you, Lord, that in some ways uh, church discipline has been used for its proper use and uh, accomplished what it meant to accomplish in the restoration of a brother or sister who lost their way. Uh, we pray, Lord, that even though we have great weaknesses, we would fight against them through the Spirit all the days of our life, continually take refuge in the blood, death, passion, and obedience of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have remission of sins by our faith in Him. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help us to have faith in Jesus Christ, to avoid sin, to follow after righteousness, to love you and our neighbor, to stay the true path, to crucify the flesh with the works thereof. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give us the wisdom and the discernment to join ourselves to the true church, to separate ourselves from the ways of this world, that we may, may be a light to this world and salt to this world, and to separate ourselves, Lord, and keep ourselves separate from those churches that call themselves churches but are not, who preach a false gospel that condemns and does not save. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.